You're listening to ZZ Talk, a father-son generational podcast where we talk about entertainment, culture, and a variety of other subjects from the perspectives of both Gen Z and Gen X. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. So today we have another episode. It's a movie review, and this one is Foxcatcher. So this came out in 2014, and I know that my dad and I had it had been on our radar for a long time, and it was one of those ones that we were going to pay for via pay-per-view back when that was a thing, and you couldn't really stream everything on the planet with a plethora of different services. But uh, I actually did buy the physical copy uh, once it came to home release at one point around that time, and I always intended on watching it, but we just never really got around to it. So last week, or yesterday for me, was a great opportunity for us to finally dive in to the movie that was uh, highly lauded as um, a really, you know, really solid film. And we're going to share some of our thoughts with you on this. But uh, uh, do you have anything to add to that? I just I think there's some irony in what you just said, because um, for the last two films that we have reviewed, even though we subscribe to no fewer than six streaming services, we have had to purchase both both films. So as you're talking about having a physical copy and watching it for free, your mom gave me a hard time uh, because she said, we have all these movies to free to uh, stream for free. And we bought this movie again. So, well, I rented this movie too, even though I have a physical copy and the great irony is just that, but Max was watching the masters. And of course uh, the, the living room TV has uh, all of our live sports. So, you know, had to give that to him at least, but other than that, you know, it's only what three or four bucks for a movie. Yeah. three ninety nine. So you can't, you can't go to a movie for three ninety nine. That's for sure. So no kidding. Yeah, Unless you have movie passed from 2017 to 2018. Yeah, it's just ironic that we have all these streaming services with a million movies that I will never watch. And we're picking ones that are not available on streaming. But that's okay, because these are movies that we want to see. These are movies that neither one of us have seen. And that's the whole purpose of our podcast is to generationally look at these films that are new to both of us. And to an extent, I think it kind of gives you a little bit more of an incentive to watch the movie and pay really good attention to it when you've thrown a couple bucks its way. So that's rather fair. than just turning it on while streaming. So, yeah, that's- yeah. All right, cool. So this one was directed by Bennett Miller, who is also known for Capote uh, in 2005. In I want to say. As in uh, Capote. Capote. Yeah. As okay. in Truman Capote. Yes. And that starred Philip Seymour Hoffman. I believe that was nominated for an Oscar. And an Oscar for that. He also directed Moneyball, which is a fantastic film starring Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. Great, great film. Yeah. And that was a very successful effort. I think that one cost 50 million and made at least double that. Uh, but Foxcatcher uh, was critically lauded, as we said before. And it was made on a budget of about, I want to say, 20 million or so and i don't think it was successful at the box office i think it made about 19 million mm-hmm. so um you know it's been it, it's based on true story as mm-hmm. <laughs> i guess many films are these days and uh the subject matter uh was regarding mark schultz and his training for the world championships of wrestling and the 1988 uh seoul south korea olympic games uh, for uh, another gold medal 
because he and his brother, or at least Mark himself, had won the gold medal in the 1984 Los Angeles Games. Yes, both of them, I believe, had won um, Mm -hmm. a gold medal. And uh, so let's just go into the high-level thoughts uh, about this movie, because I want to know what you thought. Um, I I really think that it's your turn to go first, because I, uh, well, that's fine. What, What do you think I thought? I don't think you liked it that much um, or you thought it was about fine. Yeah, I think you're probably right. It was probably fine. I have to tell you that um, I, I, the first hour I turned to your mom and I said, do you even know where this is going? And it was just, I, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I just thought it was sort of meandering the second hour, I mean, I called it. I knew exactly what was going to happen, even though I didn't recall this happening in real life. I know it's based on a true story, but I, I, I told your mom, I said, this is what's going to happen, which we'll reveal in just a minute and spoilers. And uh, she said, you think? And I said, oh, yeah. And um, did you know the story of this? No, um, I did not. I did not. Really? I mean, yeah. this was around the time you were in college, right? Or mm-hmm. just before? Well, 84, I was 16. So it was before. Yeah. So I thought this, this like mostly took place 87. in 16, 86, 87. Yeah, like it was 87. Time. So I was a uh, end of my first year in college. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought, uh, I thought the performances were strong. You know, we talked about, you know, it's got a great cast, but I thought that um, it, it was a slow burn and uh, it was fine. I'm glad I watched it, but I, it's not a film that I think is anywhere near as strong as it could have been. Yeah. When the credits rolled, uh, Grace said a similar thing to me. Uh, she said, I felt like the film did a lot of slow building, but it didn't really come to any certain climax or point. She felt, And like I think she's exactly right. Necessarily. Yeah. No, it did not. It, it, it was a slow build to a relatively mediocre crescendo i agree it definitely whatever climax or you know harrowing parts of the story that was supposed to have its intended effect didn't really hit the way that i was expecting it to and um i'll admit steve carell is uh great in this i believe this is his first dramatic role um at, at this point in a long time if not ever so i think people really liked him deviating from the Michael character in the office, which he was heavily ingrained in at this point. I I think Mm -hmm. it was really hard to separate him from the character. So I'll give him that in this role. Um, I thought Channing Tatum had almost no dialogue, but really carried a lot of the film through his uh, physical movement and Mm -hmm. wrestling. So I I, I can really praise him for that alone. And uh, Mark Ruffalo was quite good. I liked him a lot. It was, um, Uh, he did a good turn as Mark Schultz's older brother. So, yeah, I mean, there was, uh, you know, as we get deeper into this conversation, there's, there's a lot to this film that you just sort of have to, um, when I say this word, I don't mean it the way uh, at face value appreciate. There's some depth to this film because I mean, fundamentally last week we talked about um, people not feeling loved Mm -hmm. and essentially the same theme is going on here. Uh, Steve Carell's, uh, character was obviously um, lonely, uh, horrifically lonely. And, you know, the comment in 
early on in the film when he said that he learned that his his only friend, his mother paid to be his friend. So his mother was eccentric and he became even more so as a result of uh, a single mom, a single eccentric mom who was a billionaire or a millionaire, multimillionaire, and, and just sort of left him to be by himself. Yeah, Steve Carell's character, if people didn't know, is John DuPont, and uh, he is uh, the heir to the DuPont dynasty, uh, which began in the 1700s with uh, ammunition and then chemical uh, weapon manufacturing, I believe, and I think they had contracts with the military. So they were one of America's wealthiest families. And I... How could you not be eccentric when you have all that money, right? I mean, how could you be living any? I'd like to find out any semblance of real life, but you know, maybe you don't, because um, you might end up doing what happened in this movie. But at the mm-hmm. same time, um, yeah, I thought that was I thought that was interesting uh, how they sort of explored that a little bit and the Foxcatcher brand as well. But um, uh, overall, I thought this movie was good to find. It was. Not my favorite. I didn't hate it by any means, but I would say that after hearing a lot of great things about it and waiting to watch it for years and years and years, yeah, it didn't really live up to my expectations. Um, I can see why some people enjoy it a lot, but it certainly felt its runtime. It's 134 minutes and it probably felt like three hours. I mean, this one really was, there was a lot of shots of people not talking or long pauses between dialogue there was a lot of just just long shots of people doing regular things and I think that in some films that helps build sort of a true to life nature of things the mundane aspect of you know non-action-packed sequences and stories but I feel like unlike our last uh, film that we watched three billboards outside ebbing missouri this film did not do subtlety as well as it thought it did uh you know if it started really in the beginning it kind of carried on a little bit too far later on and i felt like three billboards subtlety was played out a lot better in a true to life manner than this necessarily was this yeah. just felt like it didn't have that much going on <laughs> i felt like part of it was that there were more characters in three three billboards this sure. was just you're right there were there were shots of the estate or the farm or the the center the training center that were just long and repetitive i guess we'll go into spoilers now because i've already gone in that direction all but- right spoiler warning if you have not watched it and you do want to watch it go see it now turn off the podcast once you watch it come back and listen to the spoiler section you right ready. all right cool you've been warned okay so um you know, I, I think the most interesting thing about this film is the thing that frustrated me the most, which is I didn't know what was going on for the first hour. But in doing so, in developing the story in that first hour without really telling me what was going on, right. it, it created some depth of characters. Um, you know, as we've said, uh, Steve Carell's character, John DuPont, is an eccentric my interpretation, and correct me if I'm wrong, Noah, was that he was really latching on to something he felt like he could do to give him some self, sense of self-worth. Yes. And he uh, wanted to prove to his mom that, I mean, because that was a really sad scene when they, they wheel his mom in mm-hmm. and he's with the team and he gets up and he starts sort of instructing them or directing them. And that was kind of tragic in a lot of ways because 
all he wanted was his mother's approval. He wanted to demonstrate that he had some worth and uh, he wanted her to feel that. And, and she, she, she left, they wheel her out. Yeah. Um, I think you're spot on with your analysis of uh, the tragic character. That was him uh, necessarily. I felt like one thing this film didn't do very well was it suggested quite a few plot themes, but it was kind of just somewhat hinted at or suggested in a scene and then never. Uh, uh, okay. So let's talk about that. Otherwise necessarily. Was, Go ahead. So there were, there were several things. And so tell me what you're referring to. So I'm referring to, first of all, like wrestling, wrestling is a, it, it's a contact sport, of course. So, you know, just like physical athletes, like being close that way. And I thought maybe there was an element to that, but I think the eccentricity mixed with a, such a close contact sport that we don't, isn't necessarily popular might have given you those ideas. But I think the main takeaway is that Mark Schultz was broken. He felt like he was in his brother's shadow. He said his only friend was his brother growing up. Yeah. And he hadn't really been able to distinguish himself on his own. His family moved around a lot and his father wasn't really the loving man or parental figure, mentor, coach that he would have wanted. And so he's transitioned to a wrestler and he's a champion of sorts, but he still feels like he doesn't have that person. And he finds that in John DuPont, who subsequently did not receive any friendship, any sort of real life, you know, affirmation and mentorship. He just had a fortune. And so I read John DuPont's character as somebody who really wanted to create something for themselves, not only uh, for their own personal glory, but also to make their mother happy, the widow of this incredible dynasty, so that he himself could feel like he was worthy and before she got too old or passed away, would be proud of him. And I think Mark Schultz, his greatest achievement became his greatest failure by wanting to leave and starting to lose and everything like that. I felt like that's what sent him over the edge because he, it was his greatest, he created this team, right? He had this great passion for wrestling. He wanted to be that coach, that mentor, that champion that he never could be, but he also longed for another person to give that to him. And Mark was essentially his muse. Or yeah, oh, for sure. And then once he left, he felt like he had failed and his mother had died at that point. But he also felt like that was his greatest, um, his greatest achievement uh, now had become his biggest failure, which led yeah. him to become, you know, to become what he became was a killer. You know? Yeah, but his reckless lifestyle also... Uh, led to the demise or the decline of Mark's ability because, you know, they started doing cocaine and then it turned into alcohol. Right. And I don't feel like that was explored very well either. Exactly. Offers him cocaine on the, um, on the helicopter and Mark's like, Oh, it's not a good idea. He's like, yeah, come on, take it. And then Mark takes it. And I mean, this could be true to life for many addicts, you know, who eventually try gateway drugs leading to other things, but Mark is a champion and he's been building for this all of his life. And it suddenly kind of paints him as a bit of a slacker, somebody who's growing his hair out, not as dedicated, not as, uh, you know, kind of more interested in doing drugs and getting drunk and not working towards his goal, which is the whole reason why he's there. And you might be thinking to yourself, oh, that's a good twist of character, but that's never really explored. He just becomes, you don't get any emotion out of Mark Schultz. You really don't. No, It's just very 
I want to say surface level anger and he's not painted as an incredibly nuanced and intelligent guy no not at all kind of like a brute of course but I feel like there's themes there that aren't necessarily explained it's like here's a scene to set this up and it happens but it doesn't really dive into the greater consequences of that necessarily or why they're continuing to do it or by another measure John DuPont and Mark Schultz's falling out that there was one scene where he just called him an ungrateful ape and then the relationship was never the same after that no you know beforehand they were hugging he was saying you have given this all to me like thank you so much I'm so grateful for everything you've done for me and they were great together you know they Mm -hmm. were friends each other's only real friends but then that really changed and his brother came over and you can tell that he wasn't he didn't really like his brother he had love for him but he didn't want him to be there but then it was kind of suggested that you know he was going to be mad at his brother the entire time and then he's still having a falling out with John DuPont I don't know it just it was messy the way it was handled and it was slow it was very slow there are many scenes I felt like could have been cut at the very least it was entertaining to watch the wrestling itself I mean it is a brutal sport through and through um, I gotta say, but um, yeah, it, it just, like you said, it was kind of aimless, a little bit meandering sometimes. And I know it was trying to tell a wider story and do it without being so quick paced, action packed all the time. But there was a lot of stuff in here that you're like, sure. Okay. That could happen. But can we learn a little bit more about why? Because characters just start doing things and acting oh. ways and feeling <laughs> certain things without much more than a 30 second scene introducing that well and here's my other big beef about this film the the story focuses on on mark uh schultz and his brother and of course john dupont but john dupont put together this entire team there's never any explanation or exploration of who those people are or where they came from so you assume that he did the same thing to them perhaps or for them that he did for Mark. But it's just all of a sudden they're a team. And the whole team understands that John is sort of desperate. And so he's creating this opportunity for them. But they're all sort of on board. But you never get any layer of understanding about anybody other than um, Mark and his brother. Yeah, so there was a small scene when they were all kind of slacking off watching some TV and some kind of MMA match where he says, hey, you see that guy? He got the tar beaten out of him. I went to to school with him or a friend of mine went to school with him. So I guess they were pretty top of the line wrestlers at their respective universities or places where they studied and they had some notoriety. And maybe John DuPont was like, I want to take people who are not professionals because I can't really train them, but people who have star power in the sport and create this unbeatable team that's, you know, representative of my family dynasty. Mm-hmm. So like you said, that's implied. And some things are fine when you can sort of make that conclusion for yourself. But I definitely agree that there could have been more exploration of that because yeah. they were all around. And it seemed interesting to me that, uh, his brother what was his brother's name um i can't remember at the at the, this moment but i liked their relationship and it was it hurt me when 
when the brother came and realized that um, Mark was struggling, suffering, he knew something was going on. Uh-huh. And, and Mark sort of rebuffed him because they were so close. In fact, Mark had said his brother was his only friend. So, you know, I think there were there were some that was sort of well done. I, I'll just jump ahead and just say that ultimately what happened was uh, John DuPont, who is Steve Carell's character, drives or sends Mark away. So Mark is alone. He is, um, you know, no longer a part of the the training facility. He's mentally checked out. He's mentally checked out. I'm glad he was able to get away from the compound, if you will, because, you know, for some reason, then there was another thing where the brother um, and his family all of a sudden decide to stay. You know, at first they didn't want to stay, but then it was just like, we've decided to try to make a go of it here. And, and I so- think that's, I think that's convenient, but I also think when you're being paid by one of the wealthiest. Well, and that was implied, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, uh, because I think in real life, he was an assistant coach at Stanford University. And uh, Uh, this was a significant step up with utilities probably being paid for living on a very, very stable, safe place uh, environments and well, safe at the time. And um, also being able to get paid for a world-class team and being able to keep an eye over his brother. And I thought that was the strongest aspect of the movie. I, yeah. You know. So ultimately Mark leaves and Steve Carell's jealousy um, over the relationship that uh, Mark has with his brother drives John DuPont played by Steve Carell uh, to an act of violence to shoot, to shoot Mark's brother. Right. And I actually read up on the story uh, mm-hmm. later. So mm-hmm. Um, there's some plot deviations uh, from the movie and the actual real life events and whatnot. But uh, so I believe his brother had been working on, this was a completely random act of violence. Uh, So his Mark Schultz's brother, David Schultz had been working, had been working there for about six years. He was actually shot in 1996 instead of 1988. Um, So it was a lot more out there than you would have thought. And so John DuPont pleaded uh, not guilty on um, with, I I think, not guilty with insanity. Um, And he was charged for, I believe, third degree murder or first degree. I can't remember. Whichever one is the least, uh, gives the least punishment. And um, he died in prison in 2010 at the age of 72. But they charged him with mental illness, but not insanity. Um, so it, it's interesting to see how that played out. And I don't think that they did a very good, because John DuPont shoots David Schultz at the end of the movie, seemingly at random. And of course the act itself was random, but he's like, you got a problem with me. And then just shoots him three times. It didn't feel, <sighs> this sounds so bad. Didn't feel earned within the context of the events happening in the movie. It just seemed like he was like, okay, now I'm just going to shoot him. Right. And I think the great tragedy here is that Mark wanted to uh, be out of his brother's shadow. And then he realized he needed his brother and his brother became very well ingrained with Foxcatcher. And then John DuPont who wanted him there in the first place ended up taking his life. So that, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a crazy story on its own. And um I'm surprised you didn't know about it when uh, it sort of hit the media. I yeah, the name Mark Schultz is familiar to me, but Mark Schultz is also a, a contemporary Christian singer too, so I may have just recognized that name. And then there's Charles Schultz, who I think created the Peanuts comics. He so did, yes. I that up. Yeah. yeah. So, Noah, how many Zs would you give this film? 
Um, I, I think on a one to 10 scale, I would give it a six. That's about three Z's. I, I think it's somewhere in the range of two and a half to three. It's not a bad film, but it's, you know, this one isn't going to thrill everybody. It's for genre enthusiasts or people who are willing to, you know, watch something that's not instantly entertaining very mm-hmm. often if they're willing to do that. And I wouldn't blame them for not, but you know, there's great aspects of this movie, like the relationship between brothers and the idea that, you know, people want to be affirmed at the end of the day. Uh, it can lead them to do terrible things if mm-hmm. uh, that's taken far enough. So it, that's to be respected in the film and it tries to be subtle and there's entertaining wrestling scenes, but oh my goodness, is it just long and just there's not much dialogue there's it sounds like everybody is kind of can't hear one another because they're taking so long to respond it's just everybody in the movie seems incredibly disinterested except Mm -hmm. for mark ruffalo's character david schultz so i don't know i it just wasn't this wasn't my cup of tea necessarily i i can't say i would recommend it uh i can't say i would recommend it okay well, it's interesting. On a scale of one to 10, I'd give it a five. So that's two and a half Zs. That's generous. I think the first hour is completely meandering and aimless. And the second hour is much improved, but overall it does not make for a pretty a particularly special film. So I'm going to give it two and a half Zs. And I'm going to say, I'm very glad we watched it because it is a film that you and I both have wanted to see. Uh, and you know who doesn't like Steve Carell, Channing Tatum, or Mark Ruffalo. But at the end of the day, this film sort of left me cold. So very different from last week's experience, um, but I'm glad we watched it. Yeah. um, By the same measure, summarily, I would say that can be somewhat um, characterized as a lot of buildup for very little payoff. And I think that's pretty much all you need to know about it. The best news of all was that he actually was convicted and and ended up in jail because yes, I thought, is this guy going to get away with it because he's so rich? And then I was looking at the runtime and we had four minutes left. And I said, okay, good. I'll certainly admit though, his wealth certainly played into his uh, conviction. Uh, He doesn't it typically, it it could have been a lot worse for him for sure. I think he got 13 to 13 to 20 years, something like that. And most people go to jail for life or 25 to life right off the bat for that. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's another film Mm -hmm. let's move into our check it out section what you got um this is a very interesting movie that's been on my radar for a bit so nicholas cage if you didn't know um used to be one of the most famous and wealthy actors alive and he made a few poor financial decisions uh he ended up even buying uh like a I, i think it was a a dinosaur skull or something at an auction uh, for a lot of money and they found out that it was stolen and uh so they had to take it back and he lost all that money and he made quite a few other bad decisions he spent a lot of money so anyway he's been in a lot of movies that are sort of direct to video or just kind of crazy he's been taking on tons of acting roles supposedly because he's trying to sort of pay off his debts uh, at least and that's led to some great films and some not so great ones but there's a movie coming out on Friday <laughs> called The Weight of Unbearable, The Massive Weight of Unbearable Talent. No, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. 
Um, and it's sort of this meta uh, movie about Nicolas Cage. And the plot synopsis is he's fallen on hard financial times and a very wealthy family is willing to pay him $1 million to show up to a birthday party as a guest. And then things go awry. So um, <laughs> Pedro Pascal, who plays uh, the Mandalorian, is in this as well. And it's this meta movie where he has to channel all of his past roles and many aspects of his old characters. So he's playing Nicolas Cage in real life, mm -hmm. but they're talking about National Treasure and they're talking about Face Off and they're talking about all of these movies he's been in, like Con Air, and he has to channel those characters when he's really just a fish out of water. So it sounds. Can like I just say to you that some of those movies, that, most of those movies that you just named, are great movies? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and he's just entertaining no matter which way you swing it. So um, it, it, it's fun to see this sort of being John Malkovich version of uh, Nicolas Cage. And it comes out on April 15th. It has 27 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. and It's at 100%. And I've heard it's an early contender for one of the films of the year. So pretty cool stuff. Uh, check it out on Friday. Um, and I believe it might be available for streaming on the Roku channel if you have. Oh. Yeah, I think I do. Nice. Well, that's interesting. I, um, you know, I, that would be a great story if if that really won all the accolades, because, you know, there's nothing like a good story when someone is, you know, um, flying high and then falls and then sort of bounces back. And, and Nick Cage, that would be nice to see. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. he's in a lot and he's he's talented, you know, he is. He, is. he won. He won an Academy Award. So, you, you know, you know. I think everybody can name a very entertaining and fondly remembered Nicolas Cage film. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. I'm going to recommend a TV show. I'm going to say, check it out. Uh, this is, this one has been, we, your mom and I've had to work hard on this one, but we are almost through episode seven of eight episodes and it's called pieces of her. All right. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Pieces of her, uh, Tony Collette. So, you know, we, we've talked about Tony Collette on Wrong the pod. Right. Um, she's the lead in it and um you know it's not uh it's not ozark it is not yellowstone but it is a pretty um engrossing eight episode series so i'm going to recommend pieces of her it's about a woman who is um well i don't want to give too much of it away but uh it's a complicated story of a, of a person's past and a discovery of a past that uh, the daughter didn't know anything about. So pieces huh. of her, check it out. Interesting. Yeah. All right, cool. All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of our podcast. It's always fun reviewing movies. And um, what do you want to watch next week? We've got I a, I have a list. You I have a list on my phone. We'll have to talk about it off, off the pod. Yeah, that sounds good. But um, yeah, we, Your mom wants to watch a movie that I have to buy instead of stream for free. I'm going to be watching King Richard with Grace pretty soon. Uh, that so is a great movie. I don't care what you think about Will Smith. That is a great film. He won an Oscar for it. He did. He's and not going to win Oscar one for 10 years. For 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, technically he could actually win an Oscar. He could be nominated and win. But public sentiment has changed on him. So he won't win. But uh, even though he has withdrawn from the Academy and they've disbarred him or, for, or barred him for 10 years, he could technically still be nominated and, and win. But conventional wisdom is that he has, you know, the, the court of public opinion on him has uh, dramatically changed in the last two weeks. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That's just All an right. interesting thing. 
Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, we will be uh, back this week, of course, uh, you listening to this episode, but we're going to watch another movie and give you another review uh, the week after. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see what we've got on our plate. I know that we wrote down some really interesting ones. So um, do you want to start saying the movie that we're going to be watching upcoming? I Uh, do. Okay. Yeah, we should probably do that. Just to add a little, just a little taste test, you know? Yeah, because people are wanting to know what we're going to review. I mean, our audience is growing rapidly and we want to make sure that we uh, leave them hungry for more, right? Yeah. You know, the audience are like, there are dozens of us. There are dozens of us. We want to listen to what you have to say. (laughs) Um, So the next film we're going to watch is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Awesome. Okay. I wanted to see that movie for so long. I think it's going to be great. Um, Jim Carrey and uh, who else is in that one? Uh, yep. Uh huh. Uh, Jim Carrey and others. Yep. Jim and Carrey and others. And I'm going to, and we're going to have to pay for it too, right? No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I, I feel like it's on a streaming service. Uh, oh, oh, Kate Winslet, uh, Kirsten Dunst, oh. Mark Ruffalo, Elijah Wood, and Tom Wilkinson. Okay. Stacked cast here. Mm hmm. Great. All right, cool. Good. Uh, yeah, that one came out in 2004, so uh, we've had a long time to watch it, and we're finally getting around to it. And it's free on Peacock. Perfect, perfect, yep. perfect, perfect. All right, cool. All right, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Until then, I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is Easy Talk.